Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I am Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangeley. And with me as always is my co-host and Rangeley's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Monday, April 4th. And uh, Chris, I think we've got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. We've got the Virgin Alaska merger, which is uh, Virgin Alaska, just sounds funny. And then we've got the pending Sun Edison bankruptcy and filing to talk about. But before we get there, I have a question for you. Uh, Donald Trump over the weekend gave an interview and said we're on the verge of a massive recession and now is a terrible time to buy stocks. So should we even bother taping this podcast or should we just go, should we just say sell and go back to happy hour? I think that's it. I think we can just quote Mr. Trump and leave it at that. Okay. Podcast over. We're off. Uh, We might have some thoughts on Donald Trump at the end of this podcast, but why don't we kick off by ignoring our advice to sell and talk a little bit about Virgin Airlines selling to Alaska Air. Why don't you kick us off? Uh, Virgin Airlines, uh, it was announced this morning, is selling to Alaska Air for $57 per share. This was after a frenzied bidding war between uh, the uh, the winner, which mm-hmm. we'll discuss that in a second, and uh, JetBlue. Yep. So this was a absolute huge premium. Mm-hmm. It was... Uh, 89% premium to what Virgin's, uh, and the ticker is VA, to what Virgin's stock price was before it was announced or started to get rumors that they were in deal talks. And a 57% premium to Friday's closing share price. That in and of itself is pretty rare too. We'll get we'll talk about that in a second as well. But let's talk about why Alaska and JetBlue both wanted to buy uh, Virgin Airlines. Why don't you take it? Uh, VA, it, there, there's a scarcity premium. If mm-hmm. this was strategically what you wanted to do, there are not that many ways to do it at this point. Yep. So there are at this point, there are four major airlines, uh, Delta, United, I think American and Southwest. I, I'd have to refresh my memory. But there are four major airlines who control national markets, routes everywhere. And everyone else is trying to get up to scale to compete to them. And in this case, uh, Virgin controls a lot of really attractive routes. Mm -hmm. They have slots at slot-controlled airports like LaGuardia and DC's Reagan. Uh, They have a lot of of, uh, share in the California market. And by buying them, someone could quickly kind of fill out their national presence. Uh, And as you said, there aren't a lot of airlines that offer that type of thing. Uh, also, in terms of strategy, the deal is worth uh, – they're buying Virgin for $4 billion, and they're forecasting $225 million in synergies. So kind of 7 6 7% of the deal price is just synergies, annual synergies. It's very rare to find a ratio of synergies to deal, to deal price that mm-hmm. high. You know, you know uh, price is a result of supply and demand, and whatever the demand is, the uh, slots, and especially with controlled airports such as LaGuardia, you know what it is. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of one of the two characteristics you need to know is uh, fixed, yep. and these guys have a lot of them. There's, there's one supply and a lot of demand in that case. Exactly. So there are two interesting takeaways, and we've kind of hinted at them. I think one is how the market might underappreciate the value of strategic assets. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about that in a second. But why don't you kick us off by talking about buyer's remorse and why when we say Alaska won this bidding war, we might put one into quotes. Whenever I go to an auction, like a charity auction, and I pay for something, 
Somebody says congratulations. Which I, is rare for Chris to be the top bidder at a I charity auction. I, I always like to be the second highest and try to get credit out of that for pushing it up but not having it cost me anything. You know, just a side anecdote because we get a lot of comments from people who say they love to hear the side anecdotes. My dad is an avid listener. And every time you talk about how much you love free stuff and you think you might love free stuff more than anyone else, he says, I want you to tell Chris I love free stuff just as much as him. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners feel the same way. From a marital perspective, I think I should get credit credit for things that I bid on and almost get but not quite mm-hmm. because I feel like it shows a certain uh, 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 generosity uh, if I if I you know if you bid <laughs> on the diamond necklace you don't quite get it I think if you bid 70% of the way there you get 70% of the credit pretty obvious to me doesn't always work yeah. that way knowing Elizabeth I think Chris gets 0% of the it credit for that that's closer yeah. to how she thinks about it but let's go to the buyer's remorse that, um, uh, even an acquisitive CEO somebody mm-hmm. who's active in the deal market they might have only done five deals in their life. Mm-hmm. They are working with an investment banker who's done five deals this year. Yep. And they control uh, the mindset. They are the high-priced helper who is also the trusted confidant. Who gets paid only if a deal goes through for the most part. They're paid yep. for a transaction. They're not paid for the transaction working. And your shareholders are paid for the transaction working or failing. Mm-hmm. And they tell you, congratulations, you're the winner. The high-priced helper tells you The high-priced helper helps that. And these CEOs are typically super competitive people. If you found them in junior high school or high school, they were probably varsity athletes. They probably mm-hmm. love winning. They hate losing. And uh, so when they're told, congratulations, you've won, uh, uh, or uh, I'm going to tell you that if you only raise by a dollar, uh, mm-hmm. they typically really try to win things whether or not it makes sense on a price basis. And in this case, they might be, they won the asset, but the only winners were kind of, the only losers in this deal were kind of their own shareholders mm-hmm. because Alaska Airlines shares were down Five percent as people digested the very high price tag for uh, Virgin Airlines, yep. and I'm going to talk about. I think that it might also signal that the market can underappreciate the value of these rare strategic assets. So normally, when a deal price when it gets leaked, you know, last week it got leaked. JetBlue and Virgin were bidding for, or JetBlue and Alaska were bidding for Virgin. Mm-hmm. Normally, the share price will go. You know, if it was ten, it'll go up to thirteen, and then the takeout will be thirteen fifty or fourteen. But in this case, the shares were way, way under what the ultimate price was. They were kind of in the 30s, and the price was the takeout price was 57. So it shows just how valuable these rare strategic assets can be, and that the market might not appreciate how much people are willing to bid. Maybe even through its uh, even through what a rational acquirer would show with the synergies and everything. And for investors, if you can recognize rare strategic assets, you might be able to take advantage of it and make above market returns. In this case, you would have made over 50% in a weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that is it on Virgin. Why don't we go to Sun Edison, unfortunately, maybe for the last time. But before we get there, a quick request. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you already follow us, please be sure to rate us. It means a lot to us, and it encourages us to keep taping these podcasts. Mm-hmm. So Chris, why don't we go to Sun Edison? I think we're everyone's in agreement at this point. A bankruptcy filing is pending. Uh, probably within the next week. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week, but soon. Uh, why don't you catch us up to speed on what's going on? Whatever the timeline of the formalities, uh, Sun Edison is, for all intents and purposes, bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, approximately. They've missed a payment already this month, and we are early in the month of April. Uh, and uh, it will be interesting for their complex capital structure. It will also be interesting for their couple 
yield curves. Yep. So Sun Edison, uh, April 1st, they had a, I think it was a $2.3 million interest payment on their, $2.6 million interest payment on their convertible notes. Mm -hmm. And Sun Edison is a company with billions and billions of dollars in debt and assets. And they had to skip the interest payment. And the only reason you skip an interest payment that small is a bankruptcy filing is imminent. Uh, I'll mention real quickly that we mentioned, we talked about Sun Edison last on our March 2nd podcast entitled, Has the Sun Set on Sun Edison's Acquisition of Vivint Solar? And why don't we kind of rewind back to that and talk about what's happened since then? Uh, I'll, I'll kick it off and jump in whenever you want to. Uh, since then, Vivint broke the deal. Mm-hmm. And we, at the time, we were speculating that Vivint breaking the deal meant Sun Edison was probably bankrupt. Their claims in, the, in breaking the deal that Sun Edison had breached their contract were going to be huge. And it became increasingly likely Sun Edison was uh, insolvent. Since then, uh, we started hearing reports that the company was hiring advisors and negotiators trying to negotiate with creditors to do either a prepackaged bankruptcy filing or kind of an out-of-court restructuring. And what I found really interesting was we started hearing these reports right after Vivint. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even when Vivint happened, we thought Sun Edison was bankrupt. And the stock didn't really move. In fact, when Vivint deal broke, when the Vivint deal broke, the stock went up. Yeah. And it, it was just shocking to see this. It's like when Wiley Coyote runs off of a cliff and he's just suspended in the air until he looks down. Yeah. And it was just he's over the Grand Canyon. Sun Edison's been over the Grand Canyon. All the bankruptcy legal advisors had conflicts and were clearly hired. Yeah. Then the bankruptcy financial advisors had conflicts and were clearly hired so they had they were paying a significant amount of money to lawyers and bankers to help them with a bankruptcy process several weeks ago and and it just sat up there it's like shareholders when the Vivint deal were announced didn't like it and then the Vivint deal was called off and shareholders were like the deal's off rejoice it's party times again and they forgot that oh yeah there were all these legal remedies that Vivint would have and oh yeah Sun Edison has is hiring all these people to explore bankruptcy but uh, so they started negotiations, and the stock didn't really start breaking until last week when negotiations with all their creditors broke down. And specifically, when one of their yield co's, Terraform Global, uh, filed an 8K that said, they c- We can't file our financials because Sun Edison is probably about to go bankrupt, and they control us, so we can't file without them. And it gets really strange because Terraform Global today, uh, they, they're suing Sun Edison. So mm-hmm. this is a controlled company suing their parent company and saying Sun Edison took money from us, promised to give us projects in return, and instead they used it to temporarily avoid bankruptcy. Uh, so, Chris, why don't we talk about some of our takeaways from uh, the Sun Edison, and then we'll go to the opportunities in the bankruptcy. I just have two little thematic ones I want to throw in there, and then I want to hear from you. The yep. first one is that if you want to know how something is going, uh, the in this case, I would say the pessimists were increasingly statistical, uh, and rigorous in terms of things in this type of situation tend to go badly. Mm-hmm. The optimists, I would say, were increasingly allegorical. I bought it at $8. I would very much like it to go back, and I hope that there's a story that will get me there. Yep. Um, and so whenever you see the two sides bifurcating into stats versus mm-hmm. allegories, um, um, be very thoughtful <laughs> about whether you want to be on the allegorical side, the numbers usually win. And then secondly, I would say that when you deal with fraud, and let me use a nasty word here that may uh, be... Uh, uh, related to things that have happened at Sun Edison, that fraud in my mind is not something that happens coming out of evil. It happens coming out of pressure. Yep, yep, yep. Normal people, other than the very few saints that I believe exist, other than the very few monsters that I believe exist, people who either 
almost always do the right thing or almost never do. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody, just regular people, uh, they are malleable. They can be influenced by events. And so the question is, are they in a circumstance that they can withstand pressure? With enough pressure, you end up with fraud. It's great points. And on the fraud point, you know, from Enron to Valiant, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think you'll ever see that the people themselves were evil. From all accounts, in most cases, the people were very generous, giving mm-hmm. to charities and everything. They were, I believe Valiant's term recently has been, there was an, a culture of pressure and meeting numbers mm-hmm. that leads to frauds and it tends to be small things that escalate. Great points on your end. So Chris, we've talked about what's happening. We've talked about Sun Edison's going bankruptcy. There's four different ways to play a Sun Edison bankruptcy mm-hmm. here. You can play Sun Edison itself. You can play Vivint Solar. You can play Terp, Terraform Power, which is the U.S. solar assets. Or you can play Terraform Global, which is the global assets outside the U.S. Why don't we go through all of them? Which one do you want to start with? I will just touch on some of this in itself. Great. It seems like it makes sense. <laughs> Easiest uh, one to touch on, too. Even though that we as a policy uh, disclose as little as we are required to, I will say we are both short yep. Sun uh, We've done this in different ways. I have been writing Sun Edison calls. I believe it is fair to say that you have been buying Sun Edison puts. That is right. I think that you will end up being the wiser, as it turns out. We've had different reasons to set up. I like to think I'm always the wiser, Chris. But <laughs> I was making a, a approximate comment <laughs> in this, this specific circumstance. Uh, but, but, but as it turns out, uh, so there are different ways to do it. Um, the likelihood that our two outcomes would be highly correlated was high. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say short, not long. In, in this case, why don't I just... The way finance works, just to back it up for a second, is... Oh, I forgot you told me never to mention... Uh, no, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I, we try not to mention options on this, but that's fine. Uh, the way finance works is, is there's a capital structure. So at the top is senior secured bank loans. Then there are bonds, which is general debt. Then there's preferred stock. And then there's common equity. Your A publicly traded stock is the common equity. And in this case, there are bonds that are way, way above the commonly traded stock that are trading at an effective price of zero, so implying they won't recover anything. So if those are trading at zero, the common stock in Sun Edison is, it would take, you know, they found that they were sitting on, there was literally just billions of cash buried under their headquarters mm-hmm. for the company to cover. The equities recovering nothing, the preferreds are recovering nothing, maybe the bonds will get something. Maybe. If you go back to my stats versus allegories, I would generally give the people towards the top of the cap structure good marks at being mostly statistical. Yeah. And where a lot of the allegories lie, it's the bottom of the capital structure. Even after saying this, I mean, my biggest comment I've gotten today on things we've said is how dare you say, kind of a sense of shock and betrayal that yep. we're talking about bankruptcy and some of this and those are common stockholders those are not people in the debt so let me move on to Vivint and I'm, I'm going to cover Vivint really quickly sure. I own a little bit uh, the thought process here is the core the core business has issues but there's some value there they're going to have a huge claim on Sun Edison for a uh, willful breach of their merger. The question for them is really going to be, is the claim high enough in the capital structure to have any recovery? At this point, it actually looks unlikely. It looks like they're not going to be able to recover anything in Sun Edison's bankruptcy. But as an option, it's going to be a huge, huge claim. I think the claim could be worth more than $5 per Vivint shares. Vivint's trading at $2.50. If you think about, you know, even if they recover 10 or 20% of that claim, it could be a really nice number. I own a very small bit. I'll disclose that. I think you might own a very small bit as well. 
Chris doesn't own any. He's on me. So I own a very small bit. Speculative, but that's what I'm thinking. Let's go to Turpin Global really quickly. And I'll say we don't follow Global very closely. They're much more dependent on Sun Edison. Very interesting because they have the uh, suit against Sun Edison. But why don't you take Turp a little bit? I was going to pass on Global simply because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> but Turp, or, or as much, Turp, uh, we own, it is has, I think, always been at every point and is certainly now far and away orders of magnitude uh, our biggest exposure uh, within the this capital structure within this capital not oh, 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 not oh, overall within yeah. the capital structure within yeah. the issue we're currently talking yeah. about no it's not particularly it's still big. a modest modest position, position. Yes. but uh, but it's 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 where we have made our bet here mm-hmm. uh, we think that it, it has value uh, that value is not highly dependent upon sun edison uh, sun edison manages it uh, mm-hmm. uh, but in fact my predilection would be for it to run off value. You know, the idea that, you know, by God, they're going to have to stop doing new things, I would say, great, great, excellent. Take the cash <laughs> from your operating assets and just give it back to us. It's generally yeah. what I wish companies would do. Yeah. Stop. And uh, so we think it has a value. We think it could be dicey going through the Sun Edison bankruptcy process, but bring it on. So for my seat, there's three things here. There are the, it, it owns a lot of very valuable operating assets that throw mm-hmm. off a lot of cash. That's great. We estimate their value at, $15-ish per share. You know, reasonable people can defer if it's $12 or $20, but we think it's around 15 And the big questions going forward are going to be three. Sun Edison's bankruptcy. There's a lot of, how does it impact their purchasing power agreements? They sell their solar uh, generation to utilities. Does it impact them at all? Terraform Power filed a uh, 8K today that said it probably doesn't affect that. Sun Edison operates a lot of the business. Does that, is that impacted as Sun Edison goes bankrupt? That's a question. Uh, a lot of Terraform's project-level non-recourse debt, uh, Sun Edison has guaranteed it, and it could be called as Sun, when Sun Edison goes bankrupt. Not sure how that plays out. The big question today is Terraform and Sun Edison did a lot of mergers together, and uh, the drafting on those merger agreements seems poor. Sun Edison owes a lot in earnout payments, and the big question is if Terraform will be liable for what Sun Edison owed in those earnout payments. <laughs> In real estate, I find that you can be uh, you can see the quality of houses in the boom markets. It goes way down, and people mm-hmm. are just doing things really fast. They tend to do it really poorly. Yep. In this case, when you do M and A really fast, you do the drafting of deals really bad. Sun Edison did M and A very quickly. Terraform joined them in buying the operating assets, and the drafting was poor. And Terraform might be on the hook. I think that's the big question for shareholders today. From my standpoint, it's impossible to know how it all plays out, but buying today around $9 per share for assets that might be worth 15 seems like an interesting bet. Mm-hmm. Modest position for the both of us. We'll hit it again in our disclosures, but that's all the time we have today. A quick reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Before we hit our disclosures, two updates. Uh, first, we'll be presenting at the Microcraft Conference in Toronto next week. If you will be there, please come say hello. We'd love to see you. Uh, and second, our podcast now has an email address. If you have any feedback for us, please email us at podcast at rangelycapital.com. Both Chris and I get those emails, so we will see everyone. And now for our disclosures. Chris, I think we already hit them, but I'm Long Terp and Vivint. Uh, we're both short, Sun Edison, you through writing calls, me through buying puts. You are Long Terp and you are Long uh, a little bit of... Virgin Airlines. Is that it? Yes. Great. Those are our disclosures. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you guys later this week.